This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling, brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. I'm Graham Wolgos. Brad, the weekend part two. Yes. Uh, an awesomely exciting day of the, uh, of the Giro. Absolutely great. Bernal um, taking pink and the stage um, and marking their, you know, their dominance of what they do so well, which is lead Grand Tours. Indeed. Um, and here to talk about it with us... Orla Shinoa. Hello. Orla Shinoa, I want to say. Shinoa, <laughs> yeah. I never get it right, do I? It's so close, it's so close. We'll go with it. Um, Been called worse. Epic stage today, from start to finish. It was brutal, wasn't it? It's one of those days that I think this is why I sit on a sofa watching it rather than ever try to ride my bike in anger. Um, another horrible day to get in the breakaway. Um, but what a fantastic finale. And I think most of us thought that breakaway was going to stay. Certainly when we came up to the last kilometre, we still had Kuhn Bauman and Jeffrey Bouchard up front. But then Egan Bernal just lit the whole stage. It was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, he, he looked like he was uh, he was riding a different race. He went past the, the two front runners so yeah. quickly. He looked like the Egan Bernal that we were, became accustomed to a few years ago that won the Tour de France. Um, I said a lot, spoke a lot about him sort of being a little bit, there was an element of vulnerability about him with uh, coming into this race and the uncertainty and Geraint sort of being given the leadership back of the Tour de France and Egan going for the Giro and he stepped up to the mark and and I think he he sort of walked that line of insecurity um, a little bit because in his post-race interview he spoke about sort of the, his teammates encouraging him saying no Egan you can really do this and saw Gianni Moscon really giving it some beans for him up that last climb and you know, they're not. I think they, he needed that for himself, and I think the team would have encouraged that. Do you know? I was wondering what he was doing yesterday, actually, when it was so hard to get in that breakaway, and and he got into Ooh. one of the early breakaways until people were like, "Excuse me, drop back, thank you." What do you think that was about? Well, I think he just sort of fell into it, really, by right, trying yeah. to be in the front of the race. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with Egan. You know, if he's in a move like that, that's never going to go clear. Mm. So, you know, he's going to have to fall away from it. But so, like I said, it's sometimes better to be on the offensive than, mm. than, than falling way in behind. He said he wasn't sure how his back would fare today in, in his yeah, pre-race Yeah, which, is, which isn't a great sign, isn't it, really? And it just shows that it's on his mind constantly, isn't it? That's not a great thing to say for your competitors. This, is, this has been the big thing for me, and I didn't have time to, to talk about it in our post-race show mm. Doing really well today is one thing. It gives us absolutely no indication as to actually how his back is doing. No. And that's what's going to be the biggest test. We know he's got the form, he's got, he's got the legs, he's got the right mentality in terms of his aggressive attacking. But we have still got no idea how his back is going to fare over the next two weeks. And that's what makes the race well, really exciting. Yeah, to say something like that, mm. it's clearly they're still niggling in the background. Or is that mind games though? No. Well, not with Egan. Egan's such an honest, sort of humble guy, isn't he? I just, and in some ways, it's it to his detriment that he speaks what's on his mind. I was going like to say, I used to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you would think if he's going to play yeah. mind games, he would just ignore the back. He yeah. wouldn't even reference it. I'm surprised that he did say it at all. Mm. You know, because that makes the others 
um, sense vulnerability, whereas you want them to think, especially the way that Ineos Grenadiers have been riding this, you want the others to think now they're unbeatable, you know, and have them on the back foot, which they, which they are really. But yeah, I, I find that intriguing that he even said it. Sean Kelly was saying that the way he was riding on that final gravel section in the big ring wasn't going to do his back any good. Well, I mean, yeah, but it was it was going to do him good for getting time, wasn't it? Mm. It shows the strength he's got. If his efforts are gauged and judged on whether his back's going to be okay or not, then he's going to be in for a long giro, isn't he? And um, it's not a good sign. The fact we're talking about it already mm. isn't a good sign. And from what I, what I understand, I think that's the first time he's mentioned it the whole race, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's the first that so I've heard So it anyway. shows that, um, you know, it's by no means a done deal, mm. even though he's good on his day. You know, I think the more workload he does, the more efforts he makes like that. Is it going to become a problem? Well, I think we'll find out. It was his first Grand Tour stage win, which is a, a surprise. Yeah, well, we I think we that, all forget. We? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because he was away in teen and obviously the stage got cancelled, didn't it? Um, yeah, and it looked for all the world like he was going to he was going to win that. Well, before, I still think Geraint had caught him that day back in teen. Do you think yeah, so? Yeah, I think because Geraint was getting stronger each day that year. Um, you know, I took some criticism last year for saying that it was a lucky win. I, I didn't mean it in that sense. I said it was, um, you know, because we got the Valtoren stage went to 60-odd kilometres, wasn't it, that day? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and the cancellation of Teen, obviously, and, and Geraint was sort of poised, wasn't he, to win mm. that year, second tour. And yeah, I, I mean, he's on his day, he's clearly the best climber in the race, but certain question marks still, which yeah. is great for us, isn't it's it? It's brilliant to watch. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant for the neutral spectator. I, I do think it, it filled me with joy a lot, that stage win today, realising that he hadn't won a Grand mm. Tour stage yet, because you forget he's still so young and you've mentioned his vulnerability. Mm. It makes it him really endearing. I remember interviewing him during lockdown. He was back home in Colombia and I haven't had much chance to interview him very much. Um, so it was my first time really sitting and talking to him and I was just blown away by how humble he is and how mm. normal and how very much rooted in his background he is, you know, and I think you can't help but root for he's a very gentle, like that. isn't he? Yeah, very gentle. And his post-race it. interview today, the first thing he said was, I, I still can't believe it myself, mm. which shows that a what he's winner. been through, yeah, in terms of his, um, you know, self-doubt and things like that. It seemed like everybody just hated the fact that women were boxing and it was all my fault. Coming soon on Eurosport. Raw. Everyone looks at you as this hard, tough guy who, you know, never struggles, but that's not the reality. Everyone struggles. Raw. Stories of bravery, determination and talent is available on all podcast platforms. So, Brad... Bernal in pink, is it too early for Ineos to take the jersey? Although, I mean, it seemed to me that this was a pre-planned attack that although we've seen them throughout the past week take advantage of the gaps where they could put time into their rivals where they can, this felt like a pre-planned attack and a pre-planned win and therefore Dave B has intentionally gone out and said... Guys, yeah. go and take the jersey today, and we'll we'll defend it for the for the rest of the yeah, race. Yeah, I'm not. They don't even use terminology like go and take the jersey. It would have been let's let's um, put a plan together, let's see it through, let's commit to it, and let's see what result we get. And that's the way they ride on the offensive. The, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say it's too early. Um, that you know they take the jersey when you take the jersey, and you play your cards to you know on the days that you need to play them in order to to get the most time. And that's a big statement of intent from Egan. Um, they're a man down with Siakov has gone. Mm. So you look at eight riders plus Bernal in the jersey. That means they've got six riders to ride every day mm. you know, for two weeks. That's a long way. I took the jersey with 14 days to go uh, the tour, but obviously it was nine riders then and we'd lost uh, Sitsov back mm. then. It's, um, it's never too early. 
and it's never too late, as Chris Froome proved. So it's um, <laughs> you've got to take it where you can. And I think he needs that that confidence booster more than anything. He could have waited and waited and waited and never seen and, and realised. And I, like we saw in that interview, that what he's been through the last year, year and a half um, with injury, that um, he, he needed that confidence boost. And obviously the statement about his back as well, you know, that would be on his mind. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things is sort of hypochondriac, if that's the right word, in terms of like, he may not have a back worry, but any little niggle, you know, you'll start thinking shades of last year and, oh God, is it going to is it going to falter? I think that whole question of early, is it too early to take a jersey is slightly different when it comes to Ineos Grenadier. Certainly when they ride a race like they're riding it this time around and, and they traditionally do. With FDJ, for example, they they took the Malia Rosa, they've got to change how they ride. They've got to go on the front. They've got mm. to try to lead the race and protect their jersey. Ineos ride like that anyway, you know, and they've had Filippo Gana obviously in the pink, but they weren't trying to defend that. But even when um, Attila Valter was in the pink jersey, Ineos Grenadiers are still setting the pace. They're still trying to race it from the front. So I don't think it's going to be that different for them. I think it's a different kettle of fish, really. If it was another team, maybe, but they're, they're the team who've been most dominant so far. Mm. Mm. You mentioned FDJ there, um, Orla. Atelier Valter, um, 43 seconds behind now on GC. He's still a factor, although you presume he will go backwards as, as the race goes on. Um, Remco Evenepoel, 15 seconds behind Bernal after Bernal took bonus seconds at the line today. We saw him not so close to, to Bernal in the final stages of the race today, not as close as we've seen him this week every time the race has gone uphill. Um, he's almost been his shadow um, every time. There's, there's even a... a, a sort of that chink of light that uh, Bernal could get away. Ivanapol's been right behind him. And today he was a few riders behind. And and that to me says it's just starting to crank up to the point where Ivanapol's finding this just that little bit more difficult. I wouldn't say he's finding it difficult. I think he's he's found naturally found his place within the peloton and within the GC um, after so long away. Um, I don't think we would have ever put uh, Ivanapol... Um, you know, certainly two years ago, we wouldn't have said that he was a better rider than, than Egan Bernal. Egan Bernal, you know, was touted when he won that Tour de France that he could go on and win six or seven tours after that. That was the kind of level of of kind of genius that he was um, he was being given and the tag he was being given. And, in, you know, through his vulnerability and his sort of back injury and things like that, we've perhaps diminished him a little bit as a rider um, through uncertainty and put Remco up there with him. But Remco's a different type of rider. And I think, have to, you know, for... Was he 20, 21 years of age? If he finishes on the podium at this Giro, then um, behind Egan Bernal, if he goes on to win the race, you know, that that's his rightful place, I think. And I wouldn't say he's chinks in his armour. Because if you take Egan Bernal out of it and Ciccone, mm. Remco's right up there mm. and that he's leading the race. Ciccone for Trek at 36 seconds mm. in Brilliant fourth. Ride. Not, hey. not their, their main man, the Shark. No, no, he fell away a little bit more. But Ciccone, first time riding for GC... I thought he was exceptional today. I really did. And he was actually closing in on Bernal, wasn't he? Yeah, and he's had a brilliant race so far. And, you know, he's been brought back a few times in the early couple of stages anyway to, to try to protect Nibali. So you do wonder how much that's maybe cost him. But um, we were chatting to Sean Kelly earlier and he was saying, oh, he, he'll be in the bus home going out the back of the race in the third week. He's obviously very good in the mountains. He won the King of the Mountains here in 2019. Mm. But whether he can handle the the tough, tough climbing we've got to come. But I think a lot of that will depend on who can, I mean, it always does, who can handle it the best, who can lose the least time. If you look at the likes of, you know, you say Avonapol, Chinks in the Armour, not necessarily. He just didn't have that acceleration that Bernal had. We wouldn't have expected that. But with all the other contenders, they're so close together. Mm. I think for these stages, certainly at this stage in the race, it's about not losing too much time. The likes of Yates, Dan Martin, Hugh Carthy, 
make and Vlasa off. He's a brilliant start as well. But making sure that you're not losing too much whenever whoever it is goes off the front. You know, that's and then it comes down to the last couple of stages in the third week. And that's kind of what we want. We want to make sure that all the big names are up there mm. as close as they can be. We still have a top nine that's within one minute of the lead. So it really is anyone's race. Vlasov at 21 seconds, you mentioned there. Simon Yates, though, he's nearly a minute behind already. Yeah. How's he going to be approaching this next week? I mean, bike exchange. Yeah. Got some I mean, work we, to we do keep here. bigging Simon up every day and saying that, you know, he's going to ride himself into this race. With every stage that goes past, we've got to see something a bit more from mm. Simon. Um, I'd, I'd say it was a little bit disappointing today. Is, is Simon riding to the level he's at, at the moment? I thought I expected a bit more of him today, but um, it's very, very difficult. And as I say, that third week, you know, if he stays at this level and if most of the riders in that group stay at this level and Bernal falls away with a back injury, then it's all to play for. But Hugh Carthy was good today as well. Hugh mm. was right there. Still, you know, steady Eddie, sixth on GC now. Mm. I think Simon Yates has to show us a bit more of what he showed us on stage two of yeah. the Tour of the Alps. And that's the day that he went off the front, left everyone in his wake. And that's the reason we all got excited, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. Um, other than that... He won the Tour of the Alps, yes, but mostly because of stage two. Stage four, the other difficult stage, he stayed with everyone. He wasn't the one in front. So have we got a bit excited about Simon Yates in the run into this race? I have, and he was my odds-on favourite at the start. So far, he's safe. But he's not shown anything that would make us think he's the one to watch, certainly. Yeah, it, I felt like he was riding with a level of freedom at the Tour of the Alps that we've not seen him able to do in the Giro mm. so far. He's not been yeah. without freedom here, though. He's just of the level of where he is you know mm. the freedom comes with being the best in the race and being able to jump off the front you know mm. if you can't do that then you find yourself in, in the race where you should be another brit who was allowed to get away today was um ef simon carr we saw him in the break yeah, i don't know a lot about him we were mm. talking about him while watching him and um he hasn't come through the usual pathway of sort of british cycling and the talent team and things like that but um spent most of the time in france i believe growing mm -hmm. up in france um but he really had a go today. He wasn't frightened. Education First, they're kind of like a team that they're a little bit dysfunctional in some ways, aren't they? And I think they've always been like that and they've always seemed to race and get results like that. You know, they had two riders in that group. They had uh, Hugh Carthy behind and they never seemed to race as a unit. Um, and they do get their freedom. They are a team that get their freedom, aren't they? Yeah, Simon Carr is really interesting as well. And I was thinking about this while we were watching him today and we, we, we learn an awful lot about riders as they go in the break. But... Born in Hereford, grew up on, in the foot of the Pyrenees near Carcassonne, but he kept his British racing license. He's registered in the UK rather than France. Yeah. Um, he's Welsh origin, and he said his nan only realized he was actually a proper bike rider when he beat Geraint Thomas once. Um, yeah. But I'm intrigued, actually, Bradley, as to how that changes things. Going through the British system as he would mm. have done uh, the eight years now compared to the French system. Hmm. Do you know how, how different a grinding he would have in racing because of that? Well, I think it sort of it also is a reflection of the teams they end up in. I mean, Hugh mm. Carthy's very similar. He went mm. off to Spain and raced in Spain and didn't really come through the British system although he raced for John Herity and uh, the Rafa Condor team. Um, but he very really went and paved his own way. Um, and I think it reflects more in the way they race. You know, there's that sort of. Um, Aside from the fact we don't, we've never really heard of him, and they, a lot of those riders tend to end up with Jonathan Valters. They kind mm. of Jonathan's always been a bit of a maverick and ended up. It's he always likes the, Godfather. He, he likes the outsiders, you know, yeah. the ones who sort of get forgotten about. And Jonathan sees something in people through kind of not being picked up by in the, through the usual channels. And I think there's a there's an element of you know had you know the Yates and things people like that that have come through the British system either end up at obviously Green Edge or what was Green Edge because of the the links between sort of Brailsford and Shane Bannon and people like that. 
Whereas Hugh Carthy and Jonathan likes an outsider. And Hugh Carthy's ended up there. And, and, it, and I, I said a few times that, you know, it, it, I don't think that Hugh should go to Sky or mm. Ineos because I think it would change the way he races. And um, the beauty of that team is everyone gets their chance. And um, it's, uh, I, th I think it, it's a re it reflects in the way they race as to whether, whether they come through the British system or not. What was your relationship with JV like? Brilliant. And it still is to this day, although I don't speak much with him. He's, um, he's very intelligent. He's very articulate. He's... Um, He's very thoughtful and he's not frightened of giving an opinion, but his opinions aren't always right, but he does believe in what he says. He doesn't say something just for the sake of saying it or to be controversial for the sake of it or contentious. He's just, um, he has his own vision and he sticks to it. And he's, he's a man of his, you know, he's a man of his courage, of his conviction. And he, he, he believes in how he sees the sport should be. And he's always done that with that team. He's never changed the ethos of the team. And um, I respect the opinion he has, although I don't always agree with him. Mm. He's almost not of his time. You've interviewed in him a, a fair few times, haven't a lot, you? yeah. yeah. And I, how I've would you describe him? Pretty much exactly the yeah, same. Yeah. What I like about him is that he does have that courage of his convictions, but he doesn't necessarily always believe that he's right. He's not. He's not really always trying to convince you that he's right, that it's black or white. No. He's he's engaging in debate, which is really unusual in social yeah. media, and you get a lot of people, you know, in cancel culture and everything. You've, it's got to be black or white. It's got to be right mm. or wrong. With Jonathan, it's not. He'll make his point and he'll keep going on it. He will always have an educated, erudite um, argument to make. Mm. But it's not necessarily he thinks he's right. It's no. not. No, he thinks he's right, but he do, he's not trying to make you see the error of your ways. No. He's just trying to get the debate out there, and, I, and he's really refreshing like that. And I have he's a lot of time his theory for to the problem at the time, and and he's not mm. frightened to change or say, "Well, I said mm. this a year ago, but I was I actually think that I think differently now." He's not frightened to change his opinion and admit that maybe that wasn't the right idea, but he only deals with the facts he has at the time and makes opinions formed on the facts he has at the time to the, what we're, whatever situation we're in. I mean, he's been criticised a few times, particularly the open letter he wrote last yeah. year at the Giro, and um, and that was his, you know, he's not doing that. Whereas the likes of Lefebvre and Maggio and pe people like that, Maggio is quite staunch on his opinions. Quite. Um, <laughs> and Lefebvre, sometimes you sort of seem think he just sort of says things for the sake of saying <laughs> yeah, just to be awkward. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Jonathan, you know, he's got a real sort of vision of how the sport should be run. And even the, the letter you're referring to, that that's evidence of mm. his character like that. Yeah. He's trying to be intelligent and he's trying to be thoughtful. And I almost felt bad about that because if you remember, it's the Giro d'Italia last year where they wrote an open letter to the other teams and to the organisers mm. suggesting that they would call a halt to the race early because of COVID. He wasn't trying to to lay that down as a, otherwise we will walk away from the, the race. He was trying to think of an intelligent way to deal with it. And I felt like I got that story and we ran it on Eurosport and it became a big deal. And I felt like he almost had to back away from that stance a little bit because he wasn't trying to be disrespectful to the race. No. It was the opposite. He, he was, was trying, trying to be to re responsible to his riders. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, just to bring it back to today and, and the major incident in the first uh, sort of 60 kilometres or so, I mean, I said it was explosive at the end. It was explosive at the beginning today. And the peloton was so strung out. And attack after attack was trying to get away. A, a, a large group at the front finally did. And we saw Bahrain Victorious lighting it up, obviously going for stage wins now that they've lost their GC man in, in Mikel Lander. Um, but Matej Mohoric uh, in the break, leading the way, absolutely gunning it on a descent. Uh, and then we, we saw... I mean, thankfully, we say first of all, he's he seems to be it was okay, horrific, but wasn't it? an absolutely oh. horrific I mean, I crash. Since we were on air, and I mm. sighed on air. It, yeah. it was, um, you know, it's very rare you see a crash of that nature, and and to have it on cameras as well. But um, it was good to see him stood at the end, wasn't it? it was, yeah, you don't see riders going over their heads very no, much, thankfully. No. But it was it was really horrific, and yeah, he stood at the end. 
when he when he came off, but then he sat back down again, didn't he? Yeah, and, and he well, it seemed like they, he, he, he was going to get back on his bike. Mm. The the team thankfully car had stopped. Yeah, thankfully he didn't because it was you know as you both said it was such a, a shocking crash. Even his front forks snapped in half, and and so the, his his front wheel was. Well, I think had he got on and carried on, I think we saw a similar thing with Roman Bardet. Yeah, know, yeah, they'll pull you anyway, which is a good thing. I think we need more of that in cycling, but. Um, I'm just glad he's okay, you know, and I'm yeah. sure we'll have a sore head the next few days. <laughs> Our best wishes to him after having to abandon the race. Thankfully, able to walk away. We'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins Show after this. Zwift is the world's training playground, Brad, where fun takes you further, recreating the outdoor feel of riding on an indoor trainer, something you can get on board with, I think. It does, yeah, and Zwift have done it very well, and they're now the leaders, aren't they, in that world, and... Um, They've got the likes of Geraint Thomas on board and, you know, probably can't get... Your old mate, yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, they, they got, did some involvement with Team Wiggins a few years ago. We joined in one of their shops, Pinarello shop um, races one night and my son uses it. I watch him during the winter months. Um, it's something I wish I'd had when I was 15, definitely just to, from, a, from a safety point of view when you didn't want to let your kids out on the road in the dark. And, and anyone can use it. So, it, you know, you don't, yeah. have to be, you don't have to be G, you don't have to be a pro. You can train with thousands of, of real train, people. Yeah. Like, you can train with anyone. You can ride with anyone um, from the world of pro cycling or from your workplace or school, whatever age you are. Brad, like you say, most of the pros on the World Tour train on Swift. Yeah, hop on any time, heart pumping, intense cycling, join group rides, events and worldwide races. Um, Zwift has nine worlds too, including the stunning Paris and France maps. They've recreated Tour de France stages, um, which gives everyone a chance to experience them. You don't have to have yeah. been Bradley Wiggins to experience what it's no, like to ride at the Tour de France. Uh, you can hit your kilometres with virtual dinosaurs, raging waterfalls, you can be inside a volcano, uh, James Bond-esque, a wide open California desert, plus you can tour London landmarks. All you need is a bike, trainer and Zwift app. Uh, you can get a free seven-day trial, Brad, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Welcome back to The Bradley Wiggins Show, sponsored by Zwift, where fun is fast. Orla, we saved this one until you've rejoined us this weekend, um, specifically for, for you, because I know that you've had uh, strong opinions on it in the past. But the news this this past week that Tour de France organiser Christian Prudhomme has confirmed that there will be a women's race in 2022. Um, more details on that to come in October. We, we understand it will be run directly after the men's race. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm coming to you first, Orla, because I know that you, when we've spoken about it in the past, you've been quite negative about the prospect of a women's tour de France. Is that fair to say? Probably um, not. To, probably more negative about the clamour for a tour de France. And that's not to say anything against people who've campaigned hard for this. And I think they're campaigning for the right reason. So that's wonderful that they've been listened to. My problem with it has always been that once a year, when we have La Course by the Tour de France, which is the women's one day race, we have so many column inches and so much social media space given over to this demand for a women's Tour de France. And I think if we would give the same energy to the amazing calendar that we have already and the races that we have already, then we would automatically, I don't know, triple our coverage in one single day of women's racing. And I feel like I've covered La Course for a number of years and it's not given the same weight that it should be given. It's not given the same publicity it should have been given. I remember being at the Tour de France one year when La Course was coming the next day and we were out 
doing an event that evening, speaking to cycling fans, people who are, who are really happy that the Tour de France is coming into town. And they had no idea La Course was happening the next day. They had leaflets through their doors um, about road closures for the Tour de France. And they didn't know about La Course. And that made me angry because I thought these are cycling fans who are having the best of female races coming to their doorsteps and they don't even know about it. Mm. And so for me, I feel like there's been this huge demand for a women's Tour de France as if it's going to be some sort of a saviour for women's racing. A, it doesn't need a saviour. The women's calendar and women's racing right now is once in a generation amazing. And B, I, it has to be done properly. The other objection I have is that the same people who are complaining every year that we don't have a women's Tour de France often aren't even at La Course. And the difficulty of covering the Tour de France means it's going to be incredibly difficult for any journalist to stay on and cover La Course after they've just done three weeks in the road of, of France to stay on and give justice to the women's Tour de France. So I've got a lot of reservations about it. It will be amazing if it's done right. And I say welcome to the 21st century because... They would have been in the wrong side of history, and I fear they're already in the wrong side of history, waiting so long. But I do, again, still have reservations because Christian Prudhomme has talked about, and he's been criticised about this, but he's talked about the the loss that women's racing engenders, so that they lose money. To me, if you're a business person, losing money is also investment. And we need to talk about investment and we need to talk about it in a positive way and not expect a failure before it's even started. And I know that William Fotheringham, who gave the who did the interview with Christian Prudhomme, said that he listened back to the interview and it was full of enthusiasm and positivity and he didn't want that quote to be taken out of context. However, it was said, and that is a massive, massive problem in, in women's racing. We're always talking about the money that's lost. What about the men's races that lose money? And, and what business in the history of enterprise has ever gotten off the ground without losing money first? It's called investment. You grow on it, you build on it, and you... you, you Start with a with a proper vision to make it work. Is that the right time to do it directly after the men's tour? Well, I was going to say, say is, what is, is done right for you, Viola? What what is that? Three weeks long? Um, no, not necessarily. I think I think I would rather see a ten day race. Yeah. I think a week is a little bit because short. because I think had it, had it, if it comes directly after three weeks, like you say, just just to keep the cavalcade on, mm. it's going to be difficult. A bit like the Paralympics is, isn't it? Um, and I still don't understand whether where this sort of um, logistically why it cannot be run at the same time as the men's. I mean, it is really hard mm. because of the length of days that you've got already at the yes. Tour de France. You have an entire team, obviously, as you know, who who put up the stage start every day, do the yeah. stage finish every day, and they move on. You've got the road closures already, which are incredibly long. And like I say, the journalists and the teams and the TV crews on the on the ground mm. are already broken. I mean, you know, yeah. at the first rest day, never mind three weeks in. And so this is why at La Course, for example, mm. the journalists who are there for the Tour de France often don't come and cover the start of La Course because because it's too tiring. Are we still going to have La Course? Is that the plan? We're still going to have La Course as well. As well as, yeah. 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 Um, but I should say that the UCI regulations are that you cannot have a 10-day women's um, stage race at this stage. But I think oh, yeah. for the variety of terrain that we'll need to see to make it a proper race, and given that the Giro Rosa has now been downgraded, it's no longer a women's world tour race. We need to see something that's going to yeah. properly showcase women's racing. If it works out, brilliant. It will be fantastic. If it's used, however, as a yardstick as to where we are with women's racing, that's when there's a problem. Because if people look at a women's tour de France, it loses some money. They don't run it after a couple of years. Yeah, that's then it. That's women's racing yeah. isn't ready for it. That's total rubbish. We, we see the yeah. best racing yeah. of... Between men and women's racing right now, women's racing is equivalent, you know. At well, least. that course last year was the best race of the... Incredible. Yeah. And the women's Liège, yeah. Baston-Liège, which to be fair is yeah. an a ASO race, but it's one of the best races I've seen in recent years. Um, 
a lot's riding on it, and I hope they take that responsibility seriously. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned being on the the right side or the wrong side of history. I mean, they're already thirty one years behind. By the time they get going, they'll be thirty one years behind the Giro Rosa. Um, should should we be looking yeah, at and the Giro Rosa downgraded? Yeah, which, which, which is which, I, I'm so was it one step forward, two steps I can't back? See the logic in that at all? Again, it's the problem with um, with race organisers, really. Mm. They didn't put on live coverage of the race last year, and that's what you need to be a Women's World Tour race. You need at least 45 minutes every yeah. day of racing, and they didn't do that. I'm quite glad that it's been downgraded for that reason, because these rules have to be in place for a reason, and, and, races, and race organisers need their data stripped of them. But we've seen in the past where, where races have said, well, all right then, it's too expensive and too much hassle to put on um, a live stream, so we'll, we'll lose the Women's World Tour status. I think it will be a very good branding for women's racing to have a women's Tour de France. The name matters a lot, but it's not as simple as getting a women's Tour de France and that's it, job done. We, we used to have one as well. Mm. We did. It wasn't called the Women's Tour de France. No. Of course, uh, it was Tour Femina. Yeah, and this uh, one I think will be Tour de France Femme. And there yeah. was still um, some of the most classic, iconic um, pictures and video footage from um, Leontine Van Morsel and Jenny Longo going mm -hmm. head to head on Alpe d'Huez. Back then, and that's how big it was. In um, even even I remember still seeing the images of Jenny Longo stood on the podium with Bernardino on the Champs Elysees as the winner of the Tour de France and the Tour, Tour Feminin. They used to go up on the same time. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see if it's done right. Like you said, I think that's that's going to be the um, the deciding factor. What's taken them so long? Well, you know what? It's 2021 now. I mean, I got asked after the 2012 Tour, should the women have a Tour de France? That's nine years ago. Um, what did you, what did you say then? Well, I've said that they should have, yes, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I'm sort of, sort of. I guess when I was back then as the tour winner, when I look back now, I've sort of having listened to what you just said, all I probably I felt it was the right thing to say at the time. Yeah, of course, exactly. You know, because you know, the, what what is there? Is there a right answer? You know, I mean, I couldn't say no. I don't think they could. I don't think they're ready for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because lots depends on it. Yeah, but there's how's it going to be run? I mean, your instinct is to say yes, they should because you want equality. But there's a lot more thought that goes into it as to how it's going to be done properly. And you do not want to have one and lose it after a couple of years or get it downgraded or get forgotten about. But again, I think that, I think that it's almost unfair that you're asked that question, you know, because they're saying, why isn't there a women's tour to France? And we're focusing on the negative. And my thing has always been, you know, we've had the women's tour, for example, a week-long stage race in the UK, which has given equal prize money to the men's tour of Britain since its inception, I think it was. We've got amazing women's racing. And I feel like always concentrating on that lack is disrespectful to women's racing. And it's, and it's also showing a little bit of ignorance as to what racing there is out there already. So the question in itself shows... shows a lack of understanding of the women's racing that there is. Asking you that question directly after you've won the tour feels to me it's, it's like another lazy media question that because now you've got the yellow jersey, you are asked yeah. every single question, everything that's wrong with yeah. cycling, right? You've got the yellow <laughs> no, jersey. But, I mean, I, you yeah. tell us what the answer is to it. I felt you know the need that I had to say, you know, why not? I mean, no one else was saying it. You know, it's um, someone's got to say something at some point, certainly from the men's side um, and in a British voice, because obviously. You know, it's. Um, I felt at that time no one was saying anything and no one was supporting. Mm. You know, after that, I, I was in contact with Rochelle Gilmore and she was setting up Wiggle Honda and I supported three of the riders out of my own pocket in that team after that. Um, and, you know, it was just someone had to do something. Um, and she did a lot for women's mm. cycling, didn't she? And um, is it, yeah, I just don't think enough is done and enough, I don't think they get lent enough support from the men's side. And I don't think enough of the men and the men at the top end of the sport are saying enough. Um, because, um, 
you know, it doesn't take people need such little encouragement, you know, to make a difference as well. It's a lot better now as well. But, it's better, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and Taylor's been, been very vocal. Taylor's, Taylor's brilliant. Been, yeah. Mark Cavendish has been yeah. brilliant as well. And and it's sad to say, but it's a bit like Andy Murray, you know, in, in tennis. If a guy says it, people listen. You know, mm. if, if women yeah. say it, people will say, Well, that's what we expect you to say. Mm. But we do have more vocal supporters now and 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 it's easy to forget how how far women's racing has come on in the last three, four, five yeah. years. It has grown exponentially, and it's and it's only going to get better. And I hope that we just continue to focus on the positive. The wider part of this conversation, the the, the and this is something that you spoke about in um, in Rouleur, in February's edition of Rouleur that you guest edited, which was uh, a women's edition, mm. um, and famously, and and as I said to you when we were talking about this yesterday, Orla, it was exactly the right magazine at exactly the right time it, it sort of caught, caught them caught the moment of, of what is well what continues to become a, a proper movement now what you feel with, with real real momentum but you spoke in or, or you've spoken about having guest edited that mag that there is this uh this wider narrative that the cycling narrative is is a male focused narrative because it's it's almost entirely written and reported on by men but that's the world, Graham. It's still the world. Everything is still written and reported. History is still written and reported by men, and it's a man's story. You know, that's, this, is, this is why I love sport anyway, in that it's a reflection of everything. So, so cycling, yes, is, is a male domain, but it's only a reflection of everything else and every other industry. Mm. You know, it, it's not exceptional in that sense. And I wouldn't want us to think that cycling is a dark corner of the world, you know, as a woman in the wider world, it's still everywhere. The success of that issue, I think, shows the potential for change, right? And the appetite for mm. change and the appetite amongst men for change, which is the most interesting part for me because Ruler has a largely male audience, uh, a largely male readership. And we so it was, the, it was the fastest selling and the biggest selling issue in Ruler's history both amongst the readership already, so the male demographic. We increased our female readership, I think, by a third um, subscriptions. But it was, you know, it's mostly men who read that magazine and they were delighted to read of women's stories. Why? Because they're just stories. <laughs> they're just stories. They're just good stories. It's just good narrative. It's just good storytelling, really. And that shouldn't be with a gender. One of the the pieces in that issue that stood out to me was you talking to Lizzie Dignan and Fran Miller um about and Monica your, your, Santini, yeah. and Monica Santini about your shared experiences um within cycling um and and whether, whether that's the, the sort of I'm going to call them the kind of microaggressions that you you face every day just simply because you're female working in the sport to the 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 sort of the the wider barriers that 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 you face as well even even for example the um the comments that you you face on social media for example when you talk about oh I've been away for a couple of weeks and I'm missing my kids and and the responses you get to that, it's, it just sort, just sort of seemed to me crushingly unfair. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because you feel as a woman that you've got to represent everything and everyone. So I feel like I'm out there representing mothers. I'm out there representing women who want to work in sport. I'm, I'm out there representing people who don't want their gender to be counted and just want to be seen as a journalist or a presenter or just working in the sport. But yeah, on social media, I've had a number of occasions whereby I've I've referenced the fact that I miss my kids when I'm away from home. And then, and then I invariably get comments from people saying well you've got a choice why are you doing it then go home and stay with your kids if that's what you want which you know, th there's validity to that um you know and shoot me down for wanting a little bit of everything in life but I find it interesting 
like I think Bradley, you know, you're a father. And I think if you ever mentioned missing your kids because you were away racing, I don't think anyone would ever say, well, stay at home then, don't race. Yeah, you know, no, your job would be seen to be more yeah. essential in the that's family true, dynamic, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you get the sort of lines of, you know, well, um, well, it's all right for you, you get paid loads of money, you know. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I think yeah. there's all those sort of, you know, me misconceptions and um, perceptions that you that come with it but yeah you're right I think it's social media is a very funny thing as well I think it's sort of um yes um it's particularly Twitter you know it kind of encourages that sort of spontaneous it's a very spontaneous thing mm. and people sort of tend to sort of air their things it's a bit like the toilet door you know it's um <laughs> yeah and, and, and it's very they're sort of pretty unintelligent and sort of un, unthought out kind of comments and and things because why shouldn't you be allowed to say how you feel you know but it's funny how you say you get people saying to you oh you're in mm. loads of money so it's all right for mm. you what i get is people saying well your job's disposable you're the woman mm. in the relationship so yeah. surely you can just let your well, man work without any understanding as to how much yeah. of the the balance i bring yeah. to the financial setup or anything but also it's the relevant. fact that i want my own career and yeah mm. there's just so many more layers to it that you've got yeah. to pick away but yeah, just keep fighting it, I guess. It, both in terms of, of gender and diversity, is cycling's problem, to, to sort of put a broader brushstroke on it, is, is cycling's biggest problem that it's just not inclusive? It's just... In, well, I think in... it is inclusive. I think it's become a lot more inclusive. I think Rafa, someone was telling me Rafa's biggest sort of um, demographic is women that buy stuff now. Um, and I think it's it's become a hell of... It's come a long way. It's like you were saying about focus on the negatives. You know, let's look, for, look how, it, how far it has come and how inclusive it is now for men and women. Certainly in terms of and gender. And look at Pippa York, you know, and how she's received now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's... Let's not forget how far it has come. Mm. And I think that um, we look at the people who do it as being representative of attitudes or whatever most people who practice sports are still male. You know, mm. that doesn't mean that women are always excluded. As long as you feel comfortable being able to take part in the sport, that's the main thing. And it's doing all right, really. I think in terms of... Got a long of, way to go, isn't it? Yeah, like everything. Mm. Like I say, yeah, like the whole world, yeah. you know, we need to be much yeah. more cognizant of making society more inclusive. I think when it comes to colour and background and ethnicity, mm. then you get into questions as to how inclusive it is or how representative it is. You know, is the problem visibility or is the problem access? And, and that's something that I can't answer and it's something that I'm that I'm interested in exploring. But it's always so much more complicated than boiling it down to inclusive, exclusive headlines. All right, we'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins Show after this. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists. This is bicycle insurance made for everyone, from Grand Tour winners to cyclists hitting the pedals for the first time. Lacquer has transformed traditional insurance with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month, meaning you could pay nothing if nobody claims. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Claims are handled by Lacquer's team of cycling experts and usually agreed within a day with no depreciation or excess. The Bradley Wiggins Show listeners can get their first 30 days free. Head over to www.lacquer.co and sign up using the code WIGGINS. Brad, looking forward to, I mean, what we're all expecting to be an epic week of racing ahead at the yes. Giro d'Italia, given, as all has said, the gaps on GC are, mm. are so tight. Um, what can we look forward to this week, starting actually with stage 10 tomorrow, which is, we're expecting to a be sprint. a sprinter stage. Minus Caleb Ewan, mm. of course, who's been one of the fastest men in the race, if not the fastest. Um, I think it gives a chance to the other, the likes of sort of Gaviria, who we've been speaking about a lot the first week and, and the form he's coming into. He's, Dylan, been, he's been here, there and everywhere. Yeah, he has, literally. Um, 
Dylan Gronewegen, who's we've spoke about the first weekend, but not so much this week. Yeah, it'd be lovely to see him win a stage. Yeah, um, and I expect them two to go head to head tomorrow. Uh, and then, of course, the rest day and um, tomorrow as well, we'll be see a very familiar sight in uh, Ineos leading the bunch with uh, Egan Bernal in resplendent his pink jersey. Indeed. Um, and the Maglia Ciclamino, Tim Merlier. Um, yeah. Are we expecting to see any more from him? I mean, Alperson so. Phoenix said that yeah. they, they came to this Giro looking for one stage win. They got that at the first possible opportunity. Anything else is a bonus. Are we expecting him to, to go on and challenge for the jersey now? I wouldn't have expected him to see the race through mm. to my mind now that Ewan has dropped will, will he be looking at it thinking oh I've got a, I've got a real chance here maybe yeah I still think that there's people further back I think uh, Ninzolo mm. I think he could he could be the real contender Ninzolo that fierce <laughs> yeah. the day that he was beaten by Killer Bute. I think I'm he sorry. I think he'll be the biggest um, uh, biggest favourite for that jersey um, I wouldn't discount Peter Sagan still present um yeah, and Viviani as well. Mm. He's been present, hasn't he? The last thirds, fourths, fifths. But Ninzolo, he's got to pick up a win at some point. He's, he's sort of been knocking on the door for a while now. The perennial second place. He's taken the jersey before, um, but as we've talked about time and again, it seems over the past week, never actually taken a stage win at his home Grand Tour. Um, I think we've got to start seeing something from Jumbo Visma. Um, yeah. We saw today George Bennett going in the breakaway. He's lost an mm. awful lot of time. Of course, he was their leader coming into this race. That breakaway didn't, or he didn't stick in the breakaway anyway. Kuhn Bauman looked like he was going to be able to take the stage until Bernal came thundering past. It just shows how desperate they are. Maybe desperate is the wrong word. Determined they are mm. to get something here. And and I would be surprised if they weren't going all in for Grunewege tomorrow. They don't yeah. have a GC anymore anyway. No. So now no. it's all about stage wins. So he's yeah. got to be one of their better options. Absolutely. And minus Caleb, it, you know, it gives an opportunity for all the others. They'll be all looking at it th thinking, you know, particularly how dominant he was in that sprint a few days ago that we looked at. It was like a track sprint. They'll be, um, they'll all realise that they've got a chance to win. Mm. Stage 11 is one we're all really excited about. We talked about it a lot yeah. already. The stage to Montalcino, the stage that, um, as, as we spoke about on the pod yesterday, Brad, uh, is an echo, really. I mean, the, yeah. the Giro loves to loves a bit of history, doesn't it, to build that in. Yeah. Um, with 35 kilometres of gravel sections. Yes. Given Bernal's um, success, well, podium at Strada Bianchi, mm. and given his success today, he's got to be licking his lips at that one, hasn't he? He will, but I don't think he'll win the stage. I actually think Peter Sagan will win that day. Yeah, I think it's... Um, it was interesting to talk to Cadell Evans earlier, which they're going to run out tomorrow. Um, how much... Just how much effort and how much... Um, preparation he put into that stage and he doesn't think there'll be he thinks more people are adopting that now on the bikes and tires and things like that but sky clearly have really all over you know the sort of equipment side of things but yeah i think burnell will be right up there he'll have to be defending that jersey because um the way the weather's been this race you know we could have some rain that day um moving on to stage 12 another one we think for the gc uh 4300 meters plus of climbing there is that one for Simon Yates to start to, to well, bring some so, back? But as I said earlier, um, I would have thought we'd seen a little bit more of him now to say yes on that. I think today was the real sign of where everyone's at now. Mm. I think the level has been, that's the true sort of level of the GC. You know, the, the gentleman who had the pink jersey, forget his name now. For a yeah, he's yeah. obviously fallen away now. And I think this is a true reflection of what we're going to see the next two weeks now. Uh, Avon Apol, I wouldn't say he fell away today. I think he just found his level. Mm. Um, Ciccone, he's going to be right up there. I actually think Ciccone could win that gravel mm, stage. Mm, mm. He'd be pretty good on it. Bernal's clearly the strongest in the race, but question marks over his back. Simon, I fear for him a little bit. I'd like to have seen a bit more from him. Uh, maybe that's the fan in me or the realist. I'm not too sure. But uh, I don't know. What do you think? How do you see, Orla? 
I just wonder with all of these, I mean, I think with Simon Yates in particular, we expected so much from him. You know how when when we're watching from home, we've no idea what's going on inside a team camp. Yeah. We've no idea of any illnesses or, you know, we saw Cameron Meyer at the back the other day with stomach problems. You saw Tim Lear having to drop off and do a Dumoulin. You never know what kind of health issues are going on inside Whoa. a team. And I want, and yeah. you know, someone like Simon Yates, for example, I, this is complete speculation, but it wouldn't be surprising if something was rumbling underneath the surface and then he were to come good a little bit later in the race and he's sort of containing himself because I'm surprised to not see him up there a little bit more. I mean, he's not doing badly, but he's not just showing the form we expected from him. Well, mm. the question marks were over Caleb Ewan and what we found out mm. this morning as yeah. to why he came out the race. You yeah. Know? Someone had took his shoe cleats off <laughs> and put them back on and slightly out and he's got a knee problem. And that just you sort of you think that's mind boggling that that would go on to someone who's won a couple of stages, fastest man in the race, Maglia Chiclamino, and he's out the race because someone took his shoe cleats off. Yeah. I mean, if that was at Ineos, someone would be sacked. You know, it was sort of, it's, it's just the craziest sort of, I mean, there must be more context to it, but um, maybe he asked for him to be changed. Who knows? But it just shows you that just the smallest change, smallest thing can upset a rider. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport and brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. Brad, we'll be back for a special edition of the pod on Tuesday. Stage 11. Where you'll be speaking to Cadell and we'll be, I will be. previewing the yeah. stage. Orla, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, real pleasure to have you. Thank you. And good luck this week, week two of the Giro on GCN Should and be Eurosport. fun, can't wait. Uh, yeah, Brad, we can follow you on social app. There we go. So we go, Orla, we can follow you. At Sports Orla. You can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks to our producer, Pete Burton. And finally from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts and rate us. Brad, that special edition on Tuesday? Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.